Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. It's Kareem the voice of Simon Fairchild from the Magnus Archives. Today, I'm here to tell you about Ostium, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Ostium is an adventure, sci-fi, fantasy podcast set in the mysterious and thrilling town of Ostium, where some doors should not be opened. Follow Jake Fisher, who discovers the secret and abandoned town of Ostium in the far reaches of Northern California. When he eventually gets inside Ostium, he learns that the town is filled with many doors, each with its own specific number. None of the doors will open for him until he starts with the first door. 
It opens and begins a journey that will take him far away from his normal life, through many more doors leading to different places in space and time. Search for the Ostium Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or go to ostiumpodcast.com or rustyquill.com for more information. Have fun. See you later. Rusty Quill presents The Magnus Archives Episode 163 In the Trenches I'm knackered. Are you? I... Hmm. Well, okay, well, no, no, I suppose not. But I, I think I should be. Yep. How long have we been walking? 14 hours and 23 minutes. What, seriously? Yes. I don't think it means much out here, though. We should probably rest. Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if we can rest feels more like, well, waiting. So, are we going to walk all the way to London? If you know an alternative, I'd be very keen to hear it. I mean, cars? You know, planes, trains, automobiles? It wouldn't help. All right, a boat then. Geography doesn't work anymore. Space doesn't work. Alright. So what does that mean? It means the journey will be the journey, regardless of how we choose to make it. Right. And you're sure we can't just, you know, speed it up a bit? No. I just... I don't like being out here. You see that tower, way off in the distance? Yeah. It's watching us, isn't it? The Panopticon and the Institute merged into something entirely new. What? No, there's there's no way we could see it from here. We we must still be a hundred miles from the border, never mind London. You could see that tower from anywhere on Earth. And it can see you. And if you walk towards it, eventually you'll get there. But you have to go through everything in between. You're being ominous again. Sorry. What do you mean, everything? What's out here? Nightmares. Come on, that trench is our first. What tr- Where did that- Why is that here? In the world as was, 
we wouldn't be too far from Kinloss Barracks. So instead we get the trench. How do you know all this stuff? Not sure. I just do. John. I'm scared. Yes. That's the idea. Sorry, I, there's just so much. There's so much, Martin, and I know all of it. I can see all of it, and I, it's filling me up. I need to let it out. I'm sorry, but tough. Okay, that, that's not what I'm here for. I can't be that for you. I, I just can't. I, I know. I, I'll use the tape recorder. I just... You probably want to wait outside. Um, no? Well, put your fingers in your ears then, I suppose. Fine, and what about them? They don't even know we're here. We're not part of their nightmare. Right. Martin? Martin? Martin, I hate your tea and wish you made coffee instead. soft and sodden mud for uncounted miles. A trench that marks the front line of a war that has no name. It has always been raging, deep in the hearts of the powerful and those that thirst to see bodies piled high in their name. And now it has a battleground. A thousand pointless conflicts and bitter stalemates stitched together like a triaged chest wound. It is a butchered border. A thin and punctured membrane between the unending meat grinder and the terrified victims it longs for. You may find this trench reaching all across the world, and it will never stop, never be satisfied, never think of peace. Charlie stands there, waiting in a transport, 
Once, it was a thin metal landing craft drifting slowly through a fetid lake. The waters were red and black by turns with blood and oil and the floating bodies of those before them that were pushed aside by the boat's wake. Next to him, Charlie saw Ryan, who he'd known since childhood, though the other details were hazy. Ryan gave him a thumbs up and an encouraging smile before his face exploded inwards to a sniper's bullet, peppering the boat with shards of bone and gore. Charlie swallowed and waited as the bullets kept coming and those around him died but did not fall, propped up as they were by the pressing mass of people around them. He could not move, and as he waited for the shot that would take him, his legs fell away in fear. Now he is in a helicopter, strapped in tight and unable to move. The man in the gunner's chair is dead, bound limp in his seat harness, half his jaw gone. The thump, thump, thump of the rotors pulses through Charlie like a toothache, and he cannot hear the shouts and cries of his comrades. He looks out of the side as a telltale line of smoke arcs up and around towards them from the scorched earth far below. He cannot hear his own scream. He lies upon the ground, amid the twisted wreckage of whatever he was trapped in, feeling the jagged shards of broken bone dig into him. Charlie looks up and sees something floating there silently. It is sleek and merciless, its featureless carbon fiber face regarding the shattered man dispassionately. The drone's camera blinks once, twice as he tries desperately to crawl away, pain lancing through every part of him. The thing makes no sound as it follows him, matching the excruciating pace of the bleeding soldier. Charlie knows when it decides to fire, he won't even hear it. He places his hand down and it sinks suddenly into the mud. He cries out as the rusted barbed wire curls itself eagerly around his wrist, digging into his skin. Tasting fear, more wire slithers through the churned earth towards him, stretching and gripping him tight, rough needles puncturing his legs and chest and throat, pulling him down and holding him steady as the drone lingers. Its blankness giving no hint of the thoughts behind its trigger. There is a rumbling in the earth around him as a tank speeds along its unstoppable path, and Charlie is immediately pulled under its tread. He has a moment of shocked horror before being reduced to a smear in the mud. Inside the tank, Ishan screams. Ishan remembers the recruiters. He was promised valor and camaraderie and the chance to be part of something meaningful. He knew that part had been a lie, but then so was the choice. His alternative was stagnant poverty, and that was really no choice at all. The money would help his family, and he could spend some years in hell if he needed to, for them. But he didn't know about this war that had always been raging and would never stop. How could he have known what the trench would be? They had taken him, dragged him from the flooded foxhole where he had sheltered for a moment's brief respite, and taken him to the tanks. Those monstrous beasts of iron that rolled forever forward, guns firing and treads leaving the earth scarred in their wake. They pass above the trench again and again, and they never turn around, pushing onward, ever onwards, the bones that stick in their gears not slowing them for a moment. Ishan had been afraid 
terrified that they were going to strap him to it, pin him to the Goliath's hull like all the other flayed flags of war, striking fear into the hearts of the enemy. But instead they fed him to it, tossed him into its burning innards and sealed the hatch behind him. Now his body has contorted itself to fit. His fingers clutched around the firing lever, pulling it frantically as the only thing that will reduce the impossible heat even for a moment. From the tiny slit in the metal he can see other soldiers, baby-faced friends and the monstrous, pig-faced enemy, both falling beneath his iron coffin's advance. He tries to cry, but his tears turn to steam. He waits craving and dreading the final kiss of the bombs, the terrible, thundering guns so far away that none have ever seen them, raining their arbitrary ruin upon the endless fields of the dead and dying. They are perhaps the only thing that can fell the tanks, splitting them like rotten fruit beneath the force of their rounds. Ishan begs, pleading with whatever god of hatred and pain he hears piping gently on the breeze to let the bombs rain down on him, to release him from his imprisonment in a single flash of destruction. But when his prayer is answered, the white-hot agony of melted and crumpled metal is like nothing he could dream of. When Hasana takes him into triage, she can barely bring herself to look at him. She wheels his stretcher to its place in the stinking, vaulted tent that serves as a field hospital, walking through a sea of stained bandages and around the piles of festering gauze. She leaves the shuddering man and approaches a nearby doctor, its long form crouched over the open chest of a patient, its many hands a frenzy of scalpel, bone sore and needle as it giggles beneath its surgeon's mask. She wants to ask about the wounded, about what to do, where to put the new ones, how to help them. But even if her voice were not drowned out by the thousand-strong chorus of moans and pained yelling that fills the tent, the doctor doesn't seem to notice her. Hassana's eyes fall on the entrance to the tent, and she sees the line of civilians stretching away into the distance. They are no less maimed, their agonies no more bearable, but there is simply no room. She tries to apologize, but instead she closes the tent. As she does so, she sees the trench behind her and, not for the first time, Hasana considers trying to run. But there is no mercy for deserters here. On one side of the trench, the hungry guns of the vile enemy wait. And on the other, the just guns of heroes will cut you down no slower save perhaps a breath to call you coward. So she waits there, in the middle, with the weeping wounded and the soon-to-be-dead, waiting for the enemy to overrun them. Sometimes, in the distance, Asana sees them, the enemy, their skin rough, dark and scaly, their faces twisted around cruel tusks, viciously sharpened teeth, and a pair of beady red eyes. Their lips are smeared crimson with the blood of children, and their greatest delight is to pluck the eyes of the innocent with their bayonets. To call them monsters is the simple truth. They feel no pain, no remorse, and seek nothing but carnage. Sometimes, in the distance, 
Asana can even see an enemy triage tent, almost identical in appearance to her own. She can only imagine the atrocities that must take place inside. Far in the distance, she sees Alexei look out over the battlefield, and her stomach turns at the detestable wrongness of his face. Alexei in turn looks out from deep in the trench. He catches sight of the enemy, their shriveled, rat-like heads causing the bile to rise in his throat. He is bored. The boredom is the worst part, the part that erodes his will and drops him to despair. There is nothing to do, nowhere to be. The only thing to occupy his mind is the inevitability of the next attack, the next order to charge, the next dropping bomb. There is no way to know when and where these things will come. But no one will talk of anything else. His stomach growls, the hunger pushing its sharp fingers out from his belly. There are no more rations, and what there is tastes of cordite and sand and coats his tongue in an oily film that makes him gag. He has heard the enemy will eat your body if they find it in the mud. They won't even check if you're dead first. Alexei shudders at the thought. From far down the trench, a cry of panic cuts through the silence. A faint haze can be seen in the distance, moving with the breeze. A new weapon? Alexei feels his knees start to buckle as he sees his comrades stagger out of the cloud. Their melting teeth flow down their faces like tears, and their limbs begin to fold and collapse as the bones within them liquefy. He turns and starts to flee down the trench. There is no cruelty so foul the enemy will not perpetrate it. He runs almost headfirst into a portly man in a tailored suit, with a blood-red flower on his lapel. He smiles, pale skin splitting beneath his bristling white moustache, and he begins to shake Alexei by the hand. Good lad, he says. Good lad. Heroes one and all. A noble sacrifice. Alexei starts to speak, to say he doesn't want to be a hero. He doesn't want to be a sacrifice. He wants to go home. But the man with the flower reaches his hand into the soldier's chest, and with a single jolly motion, plucks out Alexei's heart and places it in his wallet. Next to his bleeding corpse, Charlie wakes from what passes for sleep in this place. A sergeant is yelling at him, screaming for him to take his gun and get into the waiting transport. There's about to be another attack, and heavy losses are expected. A familiar fear courses through him, but Charlie still picks up his gun and goes back to the war. I am... End recording. Hold on. Yes. Good. Try to keep up! John, did you... No. No, he was carrying his. Alright. What are you doing here? It's dangerous. Could get yourself blown up like all these poor... 
Who do you think they were? I really don't see why we couldn't just go round picked a better place to... I guess there aren't really any better places anymore, are there? It's all this, or worse, or, or different. You still haven't told me what you're doing here. Uh... John? Uh, jo John, the, um, the payphone, that's here for some reason. It's, it's ringing? John, is, is that... Is, is anyone going to get that? Unless it's for me? <sighs> yeah, it's for me. Uh, no. No, no, no I, d I don't think so, actually. Um, thanks, but that, that sounds like a really terrible idea. <laughs> Sorry. need to keep up. It's not safe. Mon? You okay? I... I th th there was a phone. That phone. Oh. It... Yeah, it was ringing. Oh. Right. Did you answer it? No. Hmm. Probably for the best. Yeah. Let's keep going. Hmm. The Magnus Archives is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. Today's episode was written by Jonathan Sims, produced by Lorianne Davis, and directed by Alexander Jamie. It featured Jonathan Sims as the archivist and Alexander Jamie as Martin Black. To subscribe, buy merchandise, or join our Patreon, visit rustyquill.com. Rate and review us online, tweet us at the Rusty Quill, visit us on Facebook or email us via mail at rustyquill.com. Join our community on the Discord via the website or on Reddit at r slash the Magnus Archives. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone. Alex here. I'd just like to take a moment to thank some of our patrons. Ghost, Amanda Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, everyone. It's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, 
who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun and see you later. Gliams, Elizabeth Banks, Brendan Tehane, Infini, Phoenix Flame, Saga Blomberg, Kristen Seacrest, Genevieve A., Alexia Delon, Corey Frampton, Niblick III, Anna Loftus, Erin, Samantha Curtis, Alex, Ricky Dash, Samantha Cross, Sophie Talbot, Jamie Galliotto, Isabel, Sarah Kershaw, Jenny from the Block, Hannah Kincannon, Jortin Blims, Luna Gallimaster, May, Zaragis, Lucille Green Applesauce, Mary Lanners, Gabrielle Murphy, Art Stevens, M, Cassie Walln, Joshua, no relation to Sarah, Baldwin, Milan Nigam, Mackenzie Massey, Tavin Kastner, Nathaniel Beck, Shiv. Thank you all. We really appreciate your support. If you'd like to join them, go to www.patreon.com forward slash rustyquill and take a look at our rewards.